about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. It is Easter. We are celebrating that Jesus has indeed risen from the dead, and I love talking to people about that. Tonight, I'm going to be talking about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, and especially the hope revealed to us in His resurrection. And as I've been talking to people over the last couple of weeks about this, um, I've got a few funny stories to share. Like, I was at Scripture this week, and um, ready for my Scripture class, and a couple of kids who were not allowed to be in Scripture because their parents didn't sign the note, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're kind of leaving the classroom, and on the way out, this, this guy catches me. He's this year three kid, and he says, Sir, are you the Scripture teacher? And I say, Yes. And he's like, Did Jesus really rise from the dead? I was like, oh, funny you asked that. It's kind of Easter. Yes, he did. And then quick as a flash comes the real question, uh, the skeptical question. He said, did Jesus just faint? <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, that shows sort of what he thinks about the resurrection and the kind of the, the unbelievableness of the resurrection. Maybe he did just faint. I didn't have time to answer that. He ran off. Uh, just a two weeks ago, I was putting up the Room for Many sign uh, at Urco Church. And as I was putting it up, this kind of guy, he stopped walking down Urco Road and he looks at the sign and he's reading it over my shoulder. And as I stare back, I kind of, you know, just to break the awkwardness, I say, what do you reckon? And he goes, mm, it's good, it's good. And we started talking about that. And he says, you know, I got a chance to introduce myself. I said, I'm the pastor here. He said, you're a minister. Really? Why? <laughs> And uh, we got talking, and because it was, you know, near Easter, and I'm just kind of owning the weird of being a Christian in this place and time, I said, you know, I'm a, res- I'm a Christian because of the resurrection of Jesus. I believe it's true, and I believe I find real hope in Him because of that. And he goes, the resurrection? Really? Huh. Um, he goes, didn't the church just sort of make that up to kind of, so that it could be the church? And so we had this 20-minute conversation around the resurrection. I get it. We live in a skeptical age And the resurrection, it's very dramatic. It's even excessive, perhaps. It's strange. But if it's true, it changes everything. Because if the resurrection is true, it is a window into the reality that is beyond what we can see and touch. And for most people, that's it. If it's not true... It's surely the greatest hoax in history because Christianity has changed the world. It would be tragedy on tragedy. It would be false hope in an otherwise hopeless world. But before we really start digging in, let me ask you the question that's on the screen. Is life a tragedy or a comedy? Now, I mean here in the Shakespearean sense, I've got some theatrical masks to the side here, and it's kind of the theme that we've been toying with this Easter. By tragedy, I mean kind of that life would have its joys and its ups in the middle, but at the end, tragedy. In the Shakespearean sense, everyone dies at the end of the story. That's a tragedy. Uh, and it's kind of like a frown. It's got like the, the good bits in the middle, and then it kind of goes down. Uh, upside, you know, that's upside down, frown. Or, or comedy, and I don't mean kind of rom-com, funny, ha-ha. I mean, again, in the Shakespearean sense, that there might be tragedy and loss and suffering in the middle, but at the end, there's joy, there's hope. And in the Shakespearean sense, it'd be weddings. Is life a tragedy or a comedy? Is life full of joy in the moment, but there's nothing really at the end? 
Or is there hope and joy to be found ultimately and at the end? That's the question I want to ask. If Lawrence Krauss, who's one of the you know, great new atheists of today, if he's right, then as my thermodynamics lecturer from many years back said, in the end, all there is is a grey soup of unusable energy. It's very bleak. And if that's true, then eat, drink and be merry because tomorrow is tragedy. <laughs> but here's the thing. I think as a human being, we are creatures of desire and hope and the flourishing life is found beyond the hopes of the next app update, beyond the next weekend. I want us to look tonight at the grand drama of life and I want us to see and peer through that, that window of the resurrection to see the ultimate reality, the hope that we have found in Jesus Christ because Jesus' resurrection is hope revealed in history. Hope revealed in history. Let me tell you where we're going tonight. I want to explore the resurrection as, as just wishful hope, kind of fairy tale stuff. Secondly, the reasonableness of the hope of Jesus Christ. And thirdly, I want to celebrate what it means to live in the hope we have in Jesus' resurrection. Hope you're excited. Today is a great day. I love preaching Easter Sunday. It's a beautiful message that we have in Jesus. But when we approach the resurrection from any worldview outside of Christianity. You look at the resurrection and you just don't have a category to understand it in. So I get the year three kid saying, didn't he just faint? Because he just can't make sense of it. It's fairy tale ending. It's detached from the, the reality that we know. People don't come back from the dead. This has been most famously put, this idea of fairy tale religion, most famously put by this happy chap, Karl Marx, who wrote this, Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world, and the soul of a soulless condition. It is the opium of the people. He had great disdain for religion and especially Christianity because he saw it as this kind of crutch for the weak. He saw it for dreamers detached from reality. And in good old communism, you just need a hard-working, middle-class society. You don't want dreamers, hopers, now, I might be biased as a Christian, but I think Christianity offers a far more beautiful version of human flourishing and a much better and robust description of the human condition. But here's the thing. In 2018, we're not really wrestling with that kind of stuff. We're just living out the Australian dream. We're free. We're happy. We can do whatever we want, really. And the resurrection can so easily remain fantastical and just an opium for the weak people. Until perhaps when tragedy strikes, when the end enters into our story and when we're faced with our mortality and the bigger picture. And I find it fascinating that in our first reading, Mary and Martha are wrestling with this. Even as believers in God, the idea of the resurrection just, it seems so otherworldly, so detached. They can't make sense of it in the present. Now Mary and Martha, they're friends of Jesus their brother, who is a great friend of Jesus, has just died. And Jesus appears in the scene and Mary and Martha, they're kind of like, Jesus, if you were here before, this could have, could have been avoided. You're a great healer. You're a great miracle worker. But now he's dead and kind of you're not that good. <laughs> Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Mary answers, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day, but 
That's so far away. It's so distant, so detached. It's kind of wishful thinking. But then Jesus says the most outstanding thing. Verse 25, you've got John 11 open. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is emphasizing the present tense of the future hope. The one who believes in me will live. But more than that, Jesus claims to be the resurrection, not just talking about the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life because he's saying, I am that future climax, that final hope, and I'm here now before you in the present. For just as the tragic ending of death enters into our present life, so too does Jesus, the Lord of all, the climax of history, the end story, the final chapter, hope, He enters into history and says, I am the resurrection. And he does so with a question of faith. A question that represents, do you think life is a tragedy or a comedy? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says? Was Mary and Martha desperate to believe in anything to relieve their pain? Jesus was their friend. He'd done great stuff, great miracles. But Martha's answer is incredible. No one had a category to really understand the resurrection in the present. But Martha responds to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is come into the world. I think Martha is recognizing that she can't control the story. She can't control the next step. And she's saying, you are that guy. You are the Lord, the appointed one. I'm going to hand the next bit over to you. I don't know what it means that you're the resurrection and the life, but I'm going to trust you and see where that goes. And the thing is, if you're open to seeing who Jesus is, you just might find that your story fits into his. But his story will not neatly fit into yours. Because if you think you can control the story, define what resurrection is, you're going to get questions like the year three kid saying, didn't he just faint? But if you're open to seeing him for who he is and allow your story to fit into his, then it's not just wishful hope, you have revealed hope. Because Jesus will reveal to you what it means that he's the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the climax of human history, hope revealed in history. And the great thing for us is that because it's in history, we can interrogate that. We can check it out. Is it reasonable? Because I don't want to believe in some wishful hope just because I'm having a rough time. I want to answer Jesus' question, do you believe I'm the resurrection of the life with integrity, not out of desperation? And so we get to explore the reasonableness of Jesus' claims. And it is full on. We're talking about resurrection here. (laughs) I don't want to get away from that remarkable claim. But it's also reasonable because of what we have in history and the testimonies we have before us. That would be much easier if, if Jesus kind of appeared from a cloud saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. Or maybe if Martha understood the resurrection in terms of Jesus rising in her heart. 
And like, even if, Jesus, if Lazarus came back from the dead, recorded in some religious text, that would be interesting and kind of the source of much intrigue. But we're talking about God revealed in history who claims to be the life and the resurrection and dies and rises again. <laughs> and we, that gets us to our second reading from Acts chapter 1, where Luke writes, after the Lord's suffering, death, he presented himself to them, the disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. This is the same Luke, the Dr. Luke, critical Luke, who writes at the beginning of chapter 1 of Luke's gospel, part 1, if you like, of his two-part series. And he talks about how I'm investigating all of the reports, all of the eyewitness accounts. And I'm going to put all those together into a story so that, verse 4 of chapter 1 of Luke, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And we didn't have time to kind of go through a lecture, nor is it appropriate to sort of give a lecture on the, the historicity and the credibility of the resurrection. There's a guy called N.T. Wright who wrote like a thousand pages in this book called The Resurrection of the Son of God. You can read that at home. Instead, I've got this tiny little book. <laughs> um, it's kind of been the source of our inspiration for, for the series, calling it um, uh, Divine Comedy and Human Tragedy, written by Glenn Scrivener. Um, he's joining us uh, later this year to help us think about and, and do mission. And in this, he just gives us some little hooks to just start exploring the reasonableness of the resurrection. I think they're great. Because if the disciples are claiming that Jesus spent 40 days with them, proving that he was the risen Lord, and if they're the kind of writers of the New Testament, then we just got a few simple questions to ask them. A few questions that we would ask of anyone on any trial. And they're these. What's their motive? What are their means? And what's the opportunity? What would be the motives of the disciples claiming that they'd seen the risen Lord Jesus. Surely they're keeping the dream alive, right? They've been following this so-called Messiah and they've been doing great things together, having great times, and they want to relive the glory days, right? Or to sort of give a bit of context, there was actually a whole bunch of people who claimed to be the Messiah in the first century. Uh, Jewish people picking up on uh, the kind of the prophecies of old and they would have their little kind of band and do their thing following kind of their, their Messiah until the Messiah dies. And they're kind of like, oh, I guess that was the end of that. And Jesus looks like he's kind of following the same kind of, you know, Messiah thing. He dies and the disciples are like, oh, but maybe these disciples are like extra committed. They're like, we're going to see this through. He really is the guy. In fact, we're going we're gonna to sort of get, on, get in on this book deal, which is going to be like the most published book in history. We're going to be famous and stuff. Is that their motive for claiming such a ridiculous thing? that their Messiah actually rose from the dead? The problem with anything that approaches that kind of silliness is that the disciples, the eyewitnesses, the people who claimed that Jesus had risen from the dead, they were persecuted severely. Many of them, as history would say, were martyred for their faith. Now, in some parts of the world today, some Christians will die for their faith, for what they believe to be true. But there's a big difference between what's happening today and what happened for those disciples. Because you can, you can die for something you believe in. But the disciples weren't just believing. They were the ones who actually knew whether this was true or not. Because they were claiming to have touched and seen the risen Lord Jesus. And who would die for a lie that they knew to be a lie? That doesn't make any sense. Rather, their motive seems to be more clearly that they really had seen and touched and experienced the risen Lord Jesus and it blew their minds. 
and they were sent out with this incredible news. That makes more sense of the evidence. What were their means? These people couldn't control the story. They weren't coming from a Vatican or a place of influence and power. As I chatted to this guy on the streets of Urko, he, he kind of felt that the church had fabricated this story to kind of to sort of justify its own existence. But these are the guys who were kind of fishermen and, and tax collectors and kind of the despised, the rejected, the lowly, the weak. They had no power to make up this story and enforce it on others. They had very little means to actually get this ship going, except if they believed in it and others believed in it also. And what was their opportunity? What was their opportunity that they exploited here? Well, maybe, imagine as I speak to my kind of year three student, Jesus did faint. (laughs) And after kind of being flogged nearly to death, crucified in the most excruciating way known in the first century, of having a spear jammed into his chest to make sure that he was dead and then shoved into a tomb, a kind of a big rock put over that, sealed with wax, two Roman guards. And Jesus kind of woke up from that ordeal after fainting a little bit, kind of kicks the door down, takes out the guards. Ta-da! I reckon that Jesus would be messed up. Think about it. No one could kind of just wake up from that ordeal and kind of look like the kind of guy that you would follow and worship, that kind of Jesus, who if he fainted and sort of came back from this, would be worthy of compassion, hospitalization, not worthy of worship. (laughs) What opportunity did they have here? What opportunity did Jesus have? Well, he really did rise from the dead, according to the disciples, and they were willing to live and die by what they saw. Nor could the disciples actually, nor could they have just made up this story many years uh, you know, into history and talked about what happened a long time ago. And people are like, oh yeah, okay, that's interesting. No, they were writing about this and sharing the message as it happened. Not hundreds of years later, not fabricating history, not rewriting history. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day And he appeared to Peter, then the 12, and after that, more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. Paul is even inviting people to cross-interrogate 500 people. The resurrection would be the easiest kind of story to disprove. But what happened instead? This story, this good news, it went viral, beyond persecution beyond poverty, beyond circumstances, because these people had seen the risen Lord Jesus. It changed their life, turned their life upside down, and they wanted that good news to just catch on fire through the world. 400 years later, the whole Roman Empire kind of becomes Christian. And 2,000 years later, we have someone like this, Peter Hitchens, the brother of the late new atheist Christopher Hitchens, uh, running this, uh, or he actually said this at the... uh, the Festival of Dangerous Ideas is a couple of years ago in Sydney. He says, the most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and rose from the dead. That is the most dangerous idea you will ever encounter because if the resurrection is true, it turns everything upside down. It doesn't disprove empirical evidence, science, that kind of stuff, but it reframes everything because no longer is our what we see and touch 
the final description of reality. There is something much grander going on. And that leads us to celebrate what we have found in Jesus. The hope we have because of the resurrection. The drama that Christians play to. It is so much more radical than every other script going around. Now, I might look like someone, just everyone else. I don't wear religious clothes. I'm happy to have a beer at the Imperial Pub. I pay my taxes. And yet my life is defined by something radically different. I believe that in the comedic story, the joyful story of hope that transcends every tragedy and has power to redirect every part of my story. Jesus, my Lord and my Savior, He lives and reigns at the right hand of the Father, interceding for me, living for me, that I might be brought back into relationship with Him and live with my Lord and Savior for every day of my life into eternity. I just want to finish by celebrating a few ways that this drama of life has been rewritten in light of the living hope of the resurrection. And the first one, actually before we even get to these ones, the first one is that if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then he really did die for the forgiveness of sins. And if he really did rise from the dead, then I really am forgiven of my sins. There is no guilt before my Father. There is no condemnation before my God because Jesus died for my sins and he rose triumphant. A grand proclamation to all of the universe to say, this is it. Justice has been paid. Forgiveness is made available. And that is the starting point, the most joyful starting point of the Christian life. And out of that just flows a myriad of amazing things. And I've only got time to touch on a few here. The first one, fear. So much of our lives is controlled by fear. Fear of missing out, fear of rejection, fear of losing what we have, fear of being found out. Now, I'm not entirely fearless, but yet every one of my fears is reframed because I do not fear the end. I know that Jesus has been raised from the dead and lives now and reigns now, and I have nothing to fear. We are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ because of what he has conquered over the grave. Just over the last few months, I've been wrestling with some significant stresses in my life. And I wake up every morning. And as that kind of bears upon me, I'm able to pray to the one who promised to take my burdens because his yoke was light. And I'm able, able, able to ask him as the one who rose as victor, victor over death. And I'm able to say to him, would you guide me? Would you strengthen me? Would you work through me for your glory? That is fantastic. That he would live for us. And take our burdens. And lift us up in his strength. In his story. For his glory. It changes the way we love. The hope we have in the resurrection changes the way we love. I watched a video just the other week, and I think someone from here actually shared it on Facebook. Um, so give me a shout out later if it was you. And it was a video of a rabbi, Jewish rabbi, speaking about fish love. Ring any bells? Ah, oh, it's Randall. Good on you. Um, it was a fascinating little video. 
he kind of tells this story of, of a man who's eating fish. He says, hey man, why are you eating the fish? Because I love it. It's as simple as that. That's the story. But as he unpacks that, he kind of starts talking about that's the kind of love that we love with for all things. I love that. I think it will be great for me. I will be satisfied with that. I will take it for my gratification. I will look at and take objects and people for my gratification, and I'm going to call that love. And maybe we can actually find two people that actually find gratification in each other and love like that. We'll call that a relationship. (laughs) But that only makes sense. Fish love only makes sense if, A, your story is all about you, and B, if you've stopped worrying about a grander story and you're just living in the moment. But here's the thing. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus blows away both A and B because he's showing us a much grander story than just our own. And he's saying, don't live in the moment. There is an eternity here because in the resurrection, we see that window into eternity, that the end brought into the present. And the thing is, when we are secure between what Jesus has done for us and will do for us between faith and hope, we are actually freed up to love people for who they are. And we are able to love people like Jesus loved us for our sake, not for his. And finally, suffering. The hope we have in the resurrection of Jesus totally reframes the way we look at the tragedies of this world. For those early Christians who were martyred for their faith, they, Christianity never celebrated martyrdom or suffering In fact, the Apostle Peter writes, live peaceful lives as much as it depends on you. But the thing is, for those early Christians, they just didn't fear death. And when they were asked to recant their faith, to deny the risen Lord Jesus, they said no, and they died for that. Emperor Nero even made a spectacle of this kind of execution of Christians in the great Colosseums of Rome. But Christians in that day and age, did not fear even death because of the hope they had in the risen Lord Jesus. Now, we are not called to, in this time and place, to stand up for Jesus in such measures. But yet we suffer tragedy in all kinds of ways. Just this week, I had a really difficult conversation with someone who's making really tough decisions under great stress. And yet, as two Christians, we were able to reframe that And even kind of note that we're having this discussion in the lead up to Easter. And we rejoiced, even while we're talking about this difficult stuff, great stress. We rejoiced knowing that God often works his greatest, glorious miracles out of weakness. And we see that no more clearly than in Jesus' death and resurrection. And so we can trust him to work through our tragedies for his glory. And we can trust our story in his great story. Divine comedy revealed in human tragedy. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? The resurrection is not wishful thinking. Not as I understand it. It's no desperate comedic relief to the tragedy. The resurrection is out of this world, and yet it's reasonable by gospel accounts. The resurrection offers living hope. 
Jesus will change your life, turn it upside down and make it glorious, make it comedic in the Shakespearean sense. What do you reckon? Is life a comedy or a tragedy? What is the script you are playing to? Jesus offers living hope. He says he is the resurrection and the life. Let me pray. Father, you know every story in this room. You know every heart, every moment of tragedy, every moment of joy. We all come before you now to see the Lord Jesus afresh. Would you turn our worlds upside down in the reality of his resurrection, of the grander story, of the glorious story? Would you take our burdens, our sin, and wash it all away? that we might enjoy and celebrate all that we have in the risen Lord Jesus. Let all the glory be His. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.